pieces of our history that we're not proud of, I feel like we have to get all of that out of the wound before the wound can heal. So when I say reckoning, I'm just really intentional that it should be an uncomfortable process. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I'm so excited to introduce Megan Cummings. She is the Vice President of Civic Advancement for the Greater Cincinnati Foundation. She also was a panelist in a panel that I moderated. And the second I heard her talk, I was like, she is one of the smartest people I know, and I've got to get her on the podcast. (laughs) Welcome, Megan. Wow, Sarah, no expectations there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, Many people are probably wondering, what the heck is civic advancement? Yeah. Yeah. So civic advancement is really how Greater Cincinnati Foundation is going to move our community forward on the most pressing issues facing us. And we realized pretty, well, always realized, but really put some intentionality around deciding that grant-making is only one tool that the foundation has. We have a lot of other tools for progress. Um, We have convening power um, across different sectors where we can bring the business sector and philanthropy and government together to solve really big problems using our best strengths. We have policy and advocacy bandwidth to um, address some of our most pressing issues through policy change. So when they thought of this position, civic advancement, it was an expanded role for the foundation and the community to say grant making is typically what foundations have done in communities, but we have so many other levers to pull to, uh, to see progress in our community. So they created this position in April and it just kind of pulls together all those different things we can be doing as a community foundation to move our community forward. Megan, when you were a little girl growing up, did you say, I want to grow up and work for a foundation? <laughs> you know, what, what, as a, as little baby Megan, what did you always want to do when you grew up? Well, if, if I'm honest, my yes. first, you know, my first dream was to be um, the person that checks out groceries and scans the groceries. Um, I (laughs) loved that. Um, And then we had this amazing technology advancement where you can do self-checkout. So I thought, you know, perhaps I could pursue other career opportunities. You know what that did? That squashed your dream. (laughs) It squashed my dream. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny. I was um, always really interested in science growing up. Um, I really wanted to do something around the environment or science. And, um, but it was interesting, you know, as I got into high sc- middle school and high school, mm-hmm. I just gravitated toward areas where I thought an injustice was happening. So like in the eighth grade, um, I grew up in Cincinnati. Our uh, school district had a levy on the ballot. And uh, my friends and I, outside of any class project we were assigned put together this whole team that was advocating for this school levy and making cases against the people that were against the school levy in this 
And we started talking about how property tax was not a fair way to fund schools. So I don't know where that came from, but I just felt like there was always an interest to make sure people got a fair shot in our community. And that uh, that started pretty early and was um, really supported by some phenomenal teachers I had along the mm. way that just kind of nurtured that. So I think I've always had that little streak in me, but I'm, I'm not sure where it came from. What were your parents? What do your parents do for a living? Yeah. So man, I, I just hit the lottery on great parents. Oh, okay. You know, when I think about when I think about any success I've had or any growth I've had, I just think how lucky was I to have to, to have great parents. So my dad um, was a first sergeant in the military in the Ohio National Guard. He served for 43 years. Um, wow. And he also had an insurance business. And my mom worked for Delta. She was in there. Um, she made reservations um, in Delta, especially when Cincinnati was such a big Delta hub. And, you know, those things really shaped who I am. You know, my dad being in um, the military, um, there was a lot of good discipline in our house, appropriate good discipline in our house and expectations that, you know, um, that we worked hard and that we gave back to our community. And, you know, there was was good expectations there. And then with my mom's um, job at Delta, you know, I don't remember our family going out to eat a lot or going to movies or, you know, things like that growing up, but the priority was always on traveling wow. and seeing new places and seeing how people lived around the world. And that was such a priority to learn about places and people and how our world interacted and how we're just a small piece of that. Um, so it was just, um, it was just a really lucky childhood to have um, parents that were so invested in us, had high expectations for us, and, um, you know, made it a priority for us to see the world and know how people lived. Uh, are you an only child, birth order, or what? Where yeah, are you in the so I have an older sister. Um, she's the CEO of Ronald McDonald House here in Greater Cincinnati. Really? And yeah, yeah, um, which is now the largest uh, Ronald McDonald House in the world, which is incredible. Um, she's been there um, for more oh than 20 gosh. years and just had incredible growth there. And she really kind of kind of introduced me to fundraising and development and then a nonprofit career. I kind of saw what she did for a living and was so inspired by her. And then we have a younger brother. And he is a soccer coach in uh, South Florida, and okay. he's coached at a college there. He has he's a goalkeeper in college for UNLV, and um, he really works um, the ministry into soccer. So he does a lot of trips abroad, um, uniting people through soccer and the ministry. Um, so uh, okay, great and siblings. when you say. Mi- <laughs> That's yes. When you say ministry, is that like a Christian ministry? What yeah. is that? Yeah, his um his the soccer program he has down there is a Christian ministry. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're you are middle child as am I. I love that. <laughs> well, we could have a whole so therapy great. session on that, Sarah, oh, right? Gosh, <laughs> I know. We really could. So you go to college, you graduate, do you go yeah. into philanthropy right after that? Or what do I call it? Do I call it? Yeah, sure. Philanthropy, nonprofits. Um, nonprofits. 
yeah, I went to Miami. Um, I had every intention of going to law school. That was really the path I, um, that was really the path I thought I would go down. And uh, I was a political science major in journalism. And, uh, you know, as I was graduating, I thought, you know, maybe I'll just work for one year and then go to law school, right? Just get a little real world experience. And this is where my sister really comes into play. Um, she was already working in nonprofits at the time. And I saw what she did for a living, which is rally people around a cause and use her writing and her words to inspire people that um, our community can be better, our circumstances can be better. And I thought, wow, that's like a great job. (laughs) And so um, I started looking at jobs in the nonprofit sector. And my first job out of college was at the Alzheimer's Association, uh, planning events for them. Uh, being a development assistant. So I did a a little bit of everything um, in the -hmm. development shop. And it was just fantastic training ground for understanding what goes in to raising money for and running a nonprofit. So um, yeah, I got into it right away. And then I thought, well, boy, how lucky is this? I just kind of found found, um, what naturally felt like a great fit for, you know, any skills I brought to the table. So so yeah, I've been in uh, nonprofit uh, since then, since then, and no law school. No, I didn't go to law school. I did get an MBA along the way um, at Xavier, which was a fantastic experience, and I think that just helped me understand the business side of nonprofits. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes in our society we think there's this hierarchy of like there's corporations and then there's nonprofits, and I have to tell you. You know, there there is so much resourcefulness and business savvy. I don't think I, I I don't think there's a hierarchy there at all. I think all organizations are incredibly important to how our community functions. And I've seen some of the brightest leaders I've ever encountered in nonprofits. And you know, just being really resourceful and how do we solve really tough problems? You know, it's complicated and it's rewarding. But my MBA just really helped me navigate some of the the business aspects of running a nonprofit. Uh, I totally agree with that. And I had a previous podcast guest, John Lane, who talked, I don't know if he shared it on his episode, but he would always talk about, you know, why are we paying our corporations more than we're paying our people yeah. that are leading nonprofits that are really keeping our communities vibrant and thriving. So I always thought that that was, that always stuck with me. Megan yeah. question. Yes. So, because you know I'm obsessed with uh, resiliency, and we're talking today about that. For you all, what it or for you right now, what's the biggest problem that you're trying to solve? Because I, I know that you are, are always thinking about problems that you can solve, and these are big problems that you're big. that you all work on. Yeah, they're they're big problems. You know, I think. There, there's so many different things that are interrelated that it's hard to just pick, you know, one issue. Right. But some of the things that are top of mind for me every day, for me and the foundation, um, is really um, a truthful reckoning with policies that were created um, intentionally to separate our community and allow certain people to thrive. And I think any disparities we're working on now 
had a root in something that was not just, um, whether it be redlining and housing or access to certain careers based on your gender or race. And so I think one of the things is having a reckoning with, um, you know, deciding what kind of society we want moving forward and making sure we don't continue to um, do things that are harmful, that create disparities, and then making sure we go back and untangle the things that have created disparities so that that can't happen anymore. So, you know, for me, a lot of it goes back to gender and race um, equity in our community. I think that's just such an underpinning issue. Okay. The other things I would say that, you know, are just top of mind for me. Um, Wait, can we pause on that for a second? Yeah. That's okay. I want to, I want to dive into the, the, that one right there. Cause I think that's yeah. really interesting. First of all, the choice of word reckoning. Yeah. That's a bold. Okay. When you choose, is that a you word? Is that a foundation word? Is that like, is that a Megan term? <laughs> I don't, I don't know who to attribute that to, but I use it because when I think of the word reckoning, it is an intentional, um, it is an intentional way to reflect on things that have happened that are not just. And okay. when I think of reckoning, I think there is like, there's like that word implies some struggle there that this is not going to be an easy, like, I'm just going to reflect on myself in the mirror. <laughs> you know, there is a reckoning yes. that there are some hard things we have to deal with and that are uncomfortable for everyone involved. And I don't think we can do healing as a community until we really have a reckoning of mistakes that were made, um, you know, pieces of our history that we're not proud of. I feel like we have to get all of that out of the wound before the wound can heal. So when okay. I say reckoning, I'm just really intentional that it should be an uncomfortable process. It's hard. It's not pleasant sometimes, but it's also really needed to move forward in an authentic way that's reparative in our community. So a lot of wow. our, so, you know, a lot of our work, um, you know, has to struggle with that. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck, but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one-hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. So there's, oh gosh, this is so good. All right, first of all, that reckoning. And I think this is so applicable to everybody on many different fronts, okay? And I love the definition that you gave about that. To me, it's like a push and pull, an uncomfortable push and pull. Mm -hmm. And then reparative, Give me yeah. an example of the work that you all have done that was 
at the beginning stages, very much of a reckoning, and you've gotten to some repair? Hmm, What a great question. Well, I'll give an example um, from the Women's Fund. Um, So I I started my career at GCF at the Women's Fund, have been there for about 11 years, just recently moved from that position. But I'm just really proud of the team at the Women's Fund and the work we accomplished. Um, And one of the things we, a big shift we made during that time was that we used to give grants out. We have a, it's not the biggest piece of what we do at the Women's Fund, but it's a a piece of it. We do some grant making. Yeah. And um, we used to have donors involved with this grant making, um, deciding, you know, how we're going to divvy up the money, looking at the applications that came from um, the community. And it was really, to be honest, it was kind of a donor stewardship activity to get donors involved in knowing the issues and making the decisions about where the money went. And then our team went through um, the Racial Equity Institute training, which was one of the most uh, transform transformational trainings I've ever been through. And we where realized, is that institute? Where is yeah, that institute? it's actually it's offered through GCF, um, Greater Cincinnati Foundation, and the Racial Equity Institute. Their trainers um, come to Cincinnati now virtual to um, deliver just a really a powerful uh, program about some about history, some about just learning about where we are and some of the disparities and why they're there. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things REI talked about was this idea of gatekeeping. Um, When do we position ourselves as decision makers when maybe we're not the most affected by a certain situation? You know, are there people we through our decision-making or our, you know, when we let people into power, when we don't, what kind of role do we have in gatekeeping in our community? And when the Women's Fund team went through this, we had this moment. We're like, oh my gosh, we are acting as gatekeepers in this. We are allowing this money to come in and out through the lens of people with privilege Mm -hmm. who we appreciate dearly. They are wonderful people and fantastic, but they are not the ones struggling with these issues every day. And we realized we had to make a big fundamental change in how we do this grant making. Um, We had been meeting with uh, a group of women to look at our strategy and our research agenda and advocacy agenda, women that were, you know, making between minimum wage and self-sufficient wage in their jobs. They had jobs that are very common, nursing aides, um, hospitality industry, call centers, retail, um, fast food workers. Mm -hmm. And um, we had been uh, asking them to advise us on a lot of pieces of our strategy. And we thought, how might we work with them so they are making the decisions about the money that ultimately affects them? Them. So we brought... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, So we brought together... Um, a group, um, thanks to our partnership with Cohere, which is a fabulous organization locally that um, uh, connects community voice um, in major decision-making tables. And we worked with Cohere, and we brought these women together, and they reviewed all the applications. They asked the most insightful questions. They brought their wisdom and experience to the table, and they made all of our grant-making decisions And I'm not saying like they recommend it and then we go off in another room and decide, you know, what they brought to the table 
was what the decisions were. And we thought that was one way we could give up power and make sure the people most affected by the issues we were working on had direct decision-making over the funds and where they went to most help where they saw the need was. And so when I think of your original question, like what's reparative? Well, reparative is when we do things differently that stops creating harm. And in this case, their voice had been overlooked for years. They had not mm-hmm. been given agency over the solutions that that were affecting their community. And they didn't have real decision-making power at real decision-making tables. So for our organization, we thought that is reparative. That is a way we right. can't undo everything that's happened in the past, but this is a way that we um, can stop those practices that we're not including them and make sure they were empowered and had agency in um, things that were affecting their lives. For you, because that, that work is really hard um, going through the, the program that you went through and then actually mm-hmm. applying it. For you personally, what do you think was the biggest uh, learning or challenge for you throughout all of that? Like, was it feeling guilty about it? Was it, you know, feeling bad that, that you were, you didn't know what you didn't know? Was it uh, choices that you made that consciously or unconsciously, you know, what, what for you? Yeah. I, you know, I think it was just going through that program was a time of deep reflection and to say, man, I've made mistakes in my past. And now I know this information, there are things I wouldn't repeat. Um, and now I know better and then we do better. Right. And so you can't right. like unlearn that information. You just say, okay, from this moment forward, I know better. And the challenge to myself is that in every situation where I'm giving a choice, um, I do better. And I don't repeat anything I've done in the past that wasn't helpful. Because I think a lot of people think, I don't want to go through a program like that because all I'm going to do is feel really shitty about myself when I leave. (laughs) Right? And you are a very logical, analytical person. So I don't think that you probably stayed in that emotion place super, super long. But how how do they teach you how to do that? Yeah, you know, I think for me, uh, what really came to light as I went through REI is that I feel like I went to good schools (laughs) and there was information within this training that I had never been exposed to, never. And so I just, you know, I don't think, you know, shame and blame. Like what? What would be an example? Oh, like, um, so, you know, I don't think ever in school I was completely... Um, taught about redlining and how African-American families in our community were excluded from building wealth through home ownership and prime neighborhoods. I did not know that. Um, I did not know how the GI Bill was exclusionary. That was really set up to build wealth. Okay. um, I did not know that either. I did not know that till right now. Right. So there were just these nuggets along the way that you think you know how the world operates, and then you're given this piece of information that challenges you in a way that says, wow, that is a new piece of information that I'm going to be receptive to, and I'm going to give myself grace to think differently about things that I thought were settled in my head. And mm-hmm. maybe that's where some of the, you know, the politis- politicization that is going on right now where, you know, we're so entrenched and we just think it is a sign of weakness to say, I'm going to change my mind. Or I know something now that I didn't know 
two weeks ago that makes me think differently about a situation. And I think we're in a moment where we just can't get past that it is okay to learn and think differently and be exposed to new situations that change your mind and have you look at things differently. So I didn't spend a lot of time in this blame, um, shame area. It was just like, what a privilege that I now know information that lets Mm. me look at the world differently. And so I, I think that's a really common thing that people just feel like, oh gosh, you know, that's just so much hardness to go through and that's difficult. And I don't want to be exposed to those emotions, but um, really it's such a gift to understand our world better and then just say, oh gosh, I didn't know that. And now I do. And now I'm going to act differently. And yeah. and then you do. Um, so what are you the, all the, working on? Yeah. What are you all working on right now? Policy. What are you working on policy wise now? Yeah. So policy-wise now, um, you know, there's a, there's a few things that are top of mind for us. Um, one, uh, there's a program called the um, Earned Income Tax Credit. I don't want to totally nerd out on you, um, but <laughs> Ohio, I, I, I won't nerd out for long. I'll check myself, but Ohio is one of the few states that doesn't have a refundable earned income tax credit. And this puts hands directly uh, this puts money directly in the hands of working folks. And um, wait, can you explain that? I don't understand that. Explain yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So um, the earned income tax credit has been proven um, by you know a lot of sources to be one of the best anti-poverty measures we have at the government's disposal. And it's a program that can put money directly in the hands of working folks. Um, and Ohio is one of the few states that doesn't have a refundable one, which means you actually get money back um, when you file your taxes. And so this is a program that's been proven state by state that could have a huge impact on our folks that are working um, in in Ohio, but aren't making ends meet still because of the wages of their jobs. So this is something that would be on our our radar to help change um, in Ohio. Um, Another thing- So Megan, Megan, for that, it's- so if I work in a job and I pay taxes at the end, like next year, I could get a refund for yeah. that work that I did. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's the next one yeah. you were going to say? That's yeah, cool. Another really important one is um, the cliff effect. This is a, a phenomenon that the Women's Fund has done a lot of work on. If you're receiving public benefits, when a small increase of wages can... Um, uh, can trigger a complete cutoff of a public benefit, like your housing voucher, childcare voucher, SNAP, et cetera. And so one of the strategies is to kind of um, improve these limits so people have a more tapered cutoff of benefits. So they are incentivized to take that better job mm-hmm. or get a certification or a degree that would earn their family more money without that threat of losing more than they're gaining. So this is definitely on our radar. And then more locally, you know, housing is so, so important. And we need okay. to um, put our head around that in Cincinnati to increase housing stock, to increase the affordability of housing. Um, so there's a lot of things that are on the agenda. Um, there, there's no shortage of work in these areas to be done uh, to make sure our community is fair. So people have a really good shot at economic mobility. Um, and so we can all like, 
you know, live in this prosperous community. Um, I think that's kind of the, the basis of all our policy is how can we bring more people up to a place where they have agency um, over their lives and can um, start to thrive? That helps us all. I love that every day you're, you are, you and others at GCF are striving for that. And so are many other foundations across the country. Mm-hmm. So personally, you want to share any, any stories with us? <laughs> any stories with you? Is this where the, the failing this forward is, comes? <laughs> yeah, this is the clickbait right now, right? So people are like, oh, I got that juice on Megan Cummings. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, when I was thinking about the name of this podcast and listened to um, past episodes, uh, a lot of people I admire, and you think they never fail because you have them on such a high pedestal. They're just like amazing people. You're like, they've had to be successful every day of their lives. And so it's really empowering and um, helpful to know that people have gone through struggles and just didn't always feel like they had it together. And I think that's what makes people real and vulnerable. So I will say, you know, before I came to GCF, I was not in a good place professionally, um, as far as fit with an organization. And it was really tough. Um, I don't know if you've had moments in your life where (laughs) north feels like south and up feels like down, and you're just like completely disoriented and I think what was really hard is I feel like I'm a pretty consistent person um, from mm-hmm. like my professional life to my personal life to places I volunteer or show up in the community. Like I, I, I feel like what you see is what you get. I don't feel like I have a lot of different shades of myself. But I was in a situation where I just felt like, what is going on here? I just didn't feel like I had a true north. I didn't mm-hmm. feel... Um, I don't know, it was just a very disorienting time. And I knew a change had to be made. Um, and I was like, gosh, what do I do next? When I felt confidence-wise, I was completely bankrupt. I just had this moment where like, who in the heck would ever hire me? Um, I am such a dumpster fire. <laughs> you know, I just felt like everything I was doing was wrong. And like, I just lost my sense of like, who am I? <laughs> um, and it was really, really tough. And uh, my husband and I had just bought a house. It was um, uh, around 2010 to 2011. We had just bought a house. We still had a condo. I don't know if you remember the market. Then. Oh, sure. Um, you know, gas and groceries going on credit cards. It was just a time where there was a lot of personal stress. Um, and also knowing that like something's got to give professionally, I need to be in a different environment and, and not feeling like I had any confidence to pursue anything. And again, like anything why else? would anyone hire me at this moment? Mm. And I remember my sister, she's, she's the heroine in, the, in a lot of this story, right? Um, oh. and, and many of these stories, but she said, all great changes preceded by chaos. All great changes preceded by chaos. And I really just took, that kind of became my mantra right then. Like, this is going to be okay. This is going to turn out. Um, I had a friend help me with my resume, uh, just really prepared for interviews. Where do I want to be? I don't want to be at just like whatever job comes up. You know, I comes really want to make an intentional move here. And, um, it was just, uh, just a beautiful 
set of set of circumstances that brought me to the women's fund and to GCF and um, our, you know, it was just amazing because at the time I just thought, oh my gosh, I am never going to find anything like you just can't see your way out of it at the moment. And then I look back and I think, oh my God, this was like the best chapter ever. (laughs) Um, How did this all happen? Megan, uh, first of all, that quote is amazing and I love it. Second of all, what what are some of those things that you did to move forward and get out of that, that maybe negative mindset? Yeah. Or stuckness? Well, yeah. For one thing, I think it's so important to have true people around you that will give you an honest assessment and um, and support you. Who was that? Your sister? Oh, so, so my sister and my, my whole family was there. Yeah. Um, other people I had met in the community. Um, you know, this, this group that has now become this this. Uh, group of executive directors we meet for monthly um, breakfast. I knew a few of them at the time. Um, and, you know, they just rally around and, um, you know, believe in you when you don't necessarily believe in yourself. So those kind of folks. Um, of course, my husband was just like, this is going to work out. It always, he said, it always does. I don't know why you get nervous about this because it always works out. <laughs> um, so just having people like that in your corner that say, oh, this is just like a weird. But transition. that's so human because we always, we all do. We yeah. all, all, all get in those ruts yeah, where we absolutely. cannot see yeah, the forest through the trees or the pot at the end of the rainbow or any possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was totally there. And then just going back to like, what do I care about? Um, what do I feel like oh. I'm good at? Um, and yes. sometimes that's a really hard thing because you're like, I don't feel like I'm good at anything, right? Good now. at anything. <laughs> yes. But and what? you want somebody to just like say it to you every <laughs> single day and you're like, oh yes, I am good at that. Yeah. But it's a mix of both, right? Because they could keep telling you forever and ever and ever, but Totally, you need to, to believe it. That is so true. And then just saying like, I've had like, you know, I've had success at jobs before. I, you know, like th- I'll come out of this. It'll be okay. Um, but I just really found, felt like I found my professional home at GCF. Um, it's a strengths-based culture where, People yes. really bring their authentic strengths to work and they're celebrated. Um, I love working on the issues that matter. Um, really importantly, I love working out on a systems level. I really care about like how policy is created and then goes down to affect everyday individuals and what that looks like. Well, we, I, I, I I can see that because you're like, I'm going to geek out on this for a, a minute. You know? like, <laughs> I am. I, I'm such right? a geek. <laughs> Like that's in, totally in your strength zone. We all have our geek zone, AKA strength zone. Yeah. And it was just like, um, I've just met incredible leaders here. I've met incredible teammates, donors that support our work, community leaders that get up every day knowing that we can make a better, greater Cincinnati. How would you not want to be surrounded by people that are optimistic that our best days are ahead of us? It's amazing. So, how lucky am I? I'm pinching myself that um, this has been my been my home for so long. 
I know, but Megan, they're also lucky to have you because not everybody has that attitude at work or at life. And, and that's your, that's your other gift. Well, thank you. They make it very easy. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're just incredibly lucky to get to, to do this work. Um, and it's, it's a privilege. And also when you know that, um, you, you know, it gives you additional energy and endurance to get through some really hard times. And look, the last two years have not been fun, right, Sarah? Like, would you classify uh, 20 and 21 as like, those were fun, awesome years? No, no. I, those, I think they've been very challenging. And, yeah. and I know that when you were on that panel, you all talked about this and some great opportunity to reflect, yes. right? Oh, for sure. You know, um, at the women's fund, I was, I was at the women's fund for 2020 and 2021. And, um, the first thing we work on is really like job quality and behalf of women that are, um, working really hard and still not always making ends meet. So that first wave of the pandemic, who was most affected by that? Look, we had moms that That's no right. longer had childcare for their kids. We had frontline workers who were working in grocery stores and, at hospitals and patient aides and going into folks' home to take care of them. Um, those were women shouldering so much of that. And, um, you know, the job quality was a big issue. The safety was a big issue. Childcare was a big issue. All these issues we work on were front and center. And then we come up to uh, the murder of George Floyd. And it was like the second part of our mission was this intersection of gender and race. And again, that racial reckoning our country needed to go through and still needs to go through. Um, so, you know, as far as like what our mission was to work on behalf of women, especially women of color who are experiencing life in this community, whew, those were two uh, really Biggies. significant events that just collided and showed the cracks that were already there it exposed everything that already wasn't working in like magnificent fashion. And I don't mean magnificent as a positive thing. Right. Although someone was telling me, and I forget who it was on the panel with you was saying that actually working from home for people of color. And I think for mothers was a benefit for them Yeah, versus it, coming into the office. Right. Wasn't that right, Megan? Yeah. I think someone did say that. And that was certainly my, um, experience. You know, uh, uh, my husband and I have a, a nine-year-old son. He was in second grade during the pandemic. He um, was doing virtual school at home. I was working in our living room. My husband was working in the office. We were like all at home, but you know, it provided a lot of flexibility. And I think what would his school year have been like if we weren't privileged to have professional jobs that could transfer to home? So I yeah. think it opened up a door of flexibility that wasn't really considered in any way before or would have been considered unless we just ripped the bandaid off and the pandemic was here and like, okay, now we're going to do this. And now people know it's possible. So that's opened up mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity, especially for professional women. But I do want to point out a lot of women that keep our economy moving every single day who are in retail and food service and right. healthcare, um, they don't have that privilege to say, oh, and just do this at home. So I think that's yeah. really important when we talk about women, like, you know, let's also see the intersection of class and race in that and know that 
yeah. yeah, I can work home on Friday if I want. That's great. But like that opportunity is not afforded to everyone equally across the community. That's an excellent point. Friend, we are almost at our time. Do you want to have any last words for our listeners? <laughs> um, well, you know, my last words for the listeners um, kind of comes off this conversation we had about these two really difficult years we've had and that we did something really hard together. We got through these two years and we probably didn't know we could do it, but we did. And so we have this muscle memory now that we can do hard things together and we can overcome obstacles we never even imagined. And what I'd love to see our community do and your listeners is apply that kind of resilience and determination to the really big next things our community can accomplish and to know that we can create an unbelievable community that values everyone, that sees everyone um, progress. It's not a pie. We can all get better. And if we bring that intention and energy and focus to really big community issues, we can have an incredible, irresistible future for our community. And I know it's within our power. So my challenge would be like, what does that look like in your own space? What does that look like in your personal circles and your family circles? What does it look like if you have agency and organizations to make changes like this? How can we include more people and their voices and really realize this equitable community that we know is possible that will benefit every single one of us. So I would love for people just to challenge themselves to see where they fit in that future community we can have and know that it's possible and it's going to be difficult, but we can, we can do those difficult things. We've proven it. And I want to add to that for those who are stuck at points in their career Megan, you're such a great example of it might look one way one day, but the next day it can change and, and, and pretty dramatically. Yeah. Just really trust yourself, reflect on what strengths you bring to an organization. Um, and, and just sounds so cliche, but like, you know, believe that you can rise above different obstacles that are put in front of you and know what your true North is. And really stick to that um, because when you get off focus, man, everything just falls apart. Um, So I think everyone knows what that is for themselves. Uh, Thank you for staying true to your true north. (laughs) And thank you for being on today. Oh my gosh. It was a blast, Sarah. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this and love what you're doing. Thanks for lifting up stories. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.